Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 32 from the World English Bible is one of our opening texts. It was also said, Whoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorce. Verse 32, But I tell you that whoever puts away his wife, except for the cause of sexual immorality, makes her an adulteress, and whoever marries her when she is put away commits adultery. Then another opening text. This is from the Darby translation, Matthew 19, 1-6. This will be the text that we deal with mostly today. Matthew 19, verse 1, And it came to pass, when Yeshua had finished these words, He withdrew from Galilee and came to the coasts of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great crowds followed Him, and He healed them there. And the Pharisees came to Him, tempting Him, and saying, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? But He answering said to them, Have you not read that He who made them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, On this account, or excuse me, on account of this, a man shall leave father and mother, and shall be united to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore the Almighty has joined together, let not man separate. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. So, last week we began with Matthew 5, 31 through 32, uh, the next section in the Sermon on the Mount that we've been going through, and I talked about the different people who will hear a sermon series like this and be affected in different ways. Different people have different life experiences, and each of these lessons this month are for each of you, but each lesson may not speak specifically to your situation. So I would like for everybody to listen to everything and be patient because it is likely that I will answer your questions in at least one of these sermons. Realize that everybody needs to be spoken to and we should not rush to the end without laying a good foundation. So as I speak today, I want everyone to realize this. Whatever has happened in the past, you cannot change. But you can move forward at this time in your service and obedience to Yahweh. Sin always carries with it consequences, even if repented of. But if repented of, there is forgiveness and there's a moving forward in righteousness. My first thought is that marriage should be forever. Now, these are my grandparents on the screen. And they were married for 57 years. I put their picture on the screen because I believe that their marriage is how marriage ought to be. They were married in 1962, and my granddaddy died September 8th, 2019. He died there in his bedroom. I was with him. Grandmama was there. He had told her she was beautiful the day before. They loved one another, and they were dedicated to each other for 57 years. Did they have problems? Why, sure. I don't know the intricacies of my grandparents' married life, but I'm sure they had struggles, had problems, financial problems. They probably had arguments. They probably had decisions that either one made that the other one didn't agree with, but they stuck with one another. And they were married for a long time. And I'm focusing on marriage today, so I want to begin with this. People ask me or have asked me what I believe about divorce, and I always begin with the response 
I do not believe in divorce. Now what I mean when I say is this, when I say that is this, this is what I mean. Yahweh joined me and my wife together. I love her. She loves me. And what Yahweh has joined together, no one should separate. We've had our share of problems and struggles. We've been married now going on 23 years. But we have worked through those problems because we love Yahweh and we serve Yahweh together. And I believe that this is Yahweh's perfect will. Now let's say a man and a woman that you know, you may know, get married. And they love the Creator. They love each other. They have children. They love their children. They have a family. The family serves Yahweh together. Let's say somebody you know Young man, young woman, that happens to them. Do you think that it is Yahweh's perfect will for that to stop or to cease? Well, of course not. I know that divorce sometimes happens, but divorce always happens because a person or persons fell out of love and service to either Yahweh, their spouse, or sometimes even their children. What we will learn in these lessons is that while the law of Yahweh does allow for divorce, this subject does not start with divorce. It starts with marriage. Yahweh permits divorce, but He promotes marriage. Divorce is not the perfect will of Yahweh. Permanency in marriage is. There are duties inside of marriage. Brother TJ and myself have taught lessons on the duties of the husband and the wife in marriage. If you are married or you are thinking about getting married, these lessons that Brother TJ and I have taught are lessons that you need to revisit time and time again so that you stay refreshed on your role as either a husband or a wife. I have a section on my website that is titled Husbands. And I have a section on the website that is titled Wives. The husbands need to listen to the husband section and the wives need to listen to the wives section. In my experience, I found that the wives want to listen to the husband section and the husbands want to listen to the wives section because human tendency in nature is we always want to tell somebody else what they need to be doing or what they're doing wrong. That's our human tendency. We listen to things that apply to other people and we can see other people's faults so easily and then we want to tell everyone else what they are doing wrong and what they need to be doing. But there is a time and a place for correction, but you should spend more time and focus on correcting yourself because the one person you can control the most is yourself. The one person I can control is me. And through changing yourself... You will change others around you by your example. And it might take time, but we must be patient with people because Yahweh has been patient with us. So this lesson today is not on the different roles in the marriage. You can visit those sections on the website for husbands and wives to listen over and over and refresh your memory on what is my role as a husband or what is my role as a wife. Today's lesson is on marriage, but it's more on the permanency of marriage that marriage is a covenant or a contract between male and female that is supposed to last until death. No one should ever enter into a marriage thinking that it's no big deal if they ever want out. You should never join in holy matrimony and think in the back of your mind, well, this has been nice today, 
But if it doesn't work out, it's not a big deal. I'll move on. That shouldn't ever be our mindset. It is a big deal when people want out because it severs a bond that at one time was love and care and service. Marriage should always be entered into seriously with someone that you plan on spending the rest of your life with. So we're going to start in Matthew 19, verses 1 through 6 was one of our opening texts, and the conversation between the Pharisees and Yeshua begins in verse 3. And the Pharisees came to him, tempting him and saying, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now, the Pharisees here, as in many cases, are not really interested in what Yeshua believes. They come to him with questions to try to tempt him, or some translations say, to test him. They try to trip him up. They want to find a reason to accuse him or to harm him. Why? Because he's not going with the flow of their group, the Pharisees. He's not even going with the flow of the Sadducees or even the Essenes out in the wilderness. Yeshua doesn't really go with the flow of any of the groups in Judaism. He agrees with all of them on some points, but he has his own flow. That's because he came from Yahweh. And he speaks only the words of Yahweh. And a lot of the groups in Judaism, they may have had some things right, but they had other things messed up. And Yeshua came to show priests and leaders what they had wrong. And priests and leaders don't like to be corrected. So that's why Yeshua was called a troublemaker. So they come to him and they tempt him. They think if we can catch him veering from established tradition, we can stir up everyone against him. We can get rid of him. Now, I do want you to notice here that they ask him about whether or not something is lawful. Lawful is a reference to the law of Moses. The law that Almighty Yahweh gave through the agency of the man Moses. Whether or not something is lawful can only be determined by going to the law and seeing the Creator's design and intention inside of that law. So they're asking, is it lawful? That's going to be a key point in a later sermon. Is it lawful? And Yeshua does go back to the law. But first, before he goes to what they're really asking about, we'll see what he does. Instead of directly answering their question, Yeshua challenges the Pharisees and he even mocks them a little bit. I want you to notice his first response here. Yeshua often answers a question with a question. I'm sure the Pharisees didn't like that, but he's trying to get them to think because their motives and their intentions are in the wrong place. So he doesn't directly answer their question. In verse 4 it says, But he answering said to them, and he asks them a question, Have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? So his first statement is, Haven't you guys read the Torah? Y'all are supposed to be students of the law. Haven't you been reading the law? That's what he's asking here. What's wrong with you guys? Why are you asking me about this? You should have studied the Torah. You should know what the Torah teaches about this. And the first place that Yeshua goes to is to the beginning, which is the book of Genesis, which Genesis is a Greek word that means origin or beginning. The Hebrew word is Bereshith, which means beginning. It's the first book of the law. So Yeshua doesn't go to Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus or even Exodus, he goes all the way back to the beginning and he actually goes to the first two pages of the scroll. What we call Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. There are other scriptures in the Torah that deal with husbands and wives and marriage. 
But Yeshua goes back to the first two pages, page one and page two. He goes to the creation and the original plan that Yahweh laid out. Well, here in Matthew 19, verse 4, Yeshua quotes from Genesis 1, verse 27. In Genesis 1, 27, we read that the Almighty created man in his own image. He created him in the image of the Almighty. He created them male and female. I want you to notice the jump there. Created man, created him, created them male and female. Genesis 1.27 begins with the words man and him, both singular, but then it jumps to them, which is a plural word, and it defines them as male and female. And Yeshua focuses on this male and female part with the Pharisees. He tells the Pharisees they should know that when Yahweh made man, he made them, plural, male and female. Now, some people use this text in Genesis to teach against homosexual practice. And I believe that that is a legitimate use of the text. But I think it's a secondary meaning of the text. I don't think it's the primary meaning of the text. While a male and female coming together is taught here, because we see that he created them, male and female, that's taught here, okay, heterosexual practice. The main point that Yeshua is bringing out is he created them male and female means there is supposed to be harmony and a uniting together between male and female. Yahweh made man male and female. That was his design. Yahweh promotes joining and harmony and an inseparable bond, inseparable, I missed that word, an inseparable bond in marriage. Now, we see this further by continuing to read Yeshua's words to the Pharisees when he goes on to cite Genesis chapter 2 in conjunction with Genesis chapter 1. In Matthew 19 verse 4, Yeshua cites the first page of, or first page of the scroll, the Bible as we call it. And then in Matthew 19, 5 through 6, he goes to the second page, first two pages, and he quotes Genesis 2 and he, he joins it with Genesis 1. Matthew 19, Verses 5 through 6, he continues by saying, On account of this, because Yahweh made them male and female, a man shall leave father and mother. That's one family unit. Notice it's a heterosexual family unit, father and mother. He leaves that family unit that he grew up under and shall be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore the Almighty has joined together, let no man separate. So Yeshua cites Genesis 1.27 first, in Matthew 19.4. And then he goes to Genesis 2.24, in 5-6 through 6 of Matthew 19. And he links the two together. So in Genesis 1, we learn that the Almighty created them, male and female, and in Genesis 2, we see the picture become clearer because we read that Yahweh actually created the woman from the existing body of the man. This is always exciting for me when I talk about it. So, in Genesis 2, we read that Yahweh caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man He had created. While in that sleep, Yahweh took either a rib some people believe, or ribs. Or Brother TJ did a good sermon in Ephesians 5 where he, Brother TJ believed Yahweh took the side of Adam. 
Because the Hebrew word there in Genesis chapter 2 means side. As a matter of fact, that's the way that the word is translated most of the time in our English Bibles is side. It's only translated rib in the KJV two times and both of them are in Genesis chapter 2. The point though is that whether you believe rib, ribs, or side of the man, Yahweh took part of the man, Adam, to make the woman Eve. Whatever part you see, the woman was made from the body of the man. Yahweh did not go get fresh dirt to form the woman like He had done to form the man. Genesis 2 verse 7. Remember He made Adam from the dust of the ground. He formed him. Adam lay there and then He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and Adam became a living soul. He didn't do that with Eve. He caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and He took part of Adam and from that part that He took of Adam He made Eve. Yahweh took the material He had already made in Adam and formed Eve from that existing material. This is Yeshua's point. The female that was made originally existed as part of the male. Male and female created he them. I want you to think about this. When Adam was made, before Yahweh put him in that deep sleep and made Eve, Eve, in a manner of speaking, already existed inside of Adam. Male and female created he them. They were together in that sense. So when Yahweh caused the sleep to come upon Adam, took out his side and made Eve, Yahweh makes the actual person of Eve from Adam and then he brings her back to Adam to introduce her to Adam. That was the first father giving his daughter over in marriage to a man. Yahweh Yahweh was the father of Eve just like he was the father of Adam, the creator. When he brings Eve to Adam... That togetherness, that inseparable bond where she used to dwell is supposed to continue. They're supposed to be inseparable. Well, Yeshua says to the Pharisees that there comes a time when a man leaves his father and his mother and he bonds or cleaves or joins to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And he means that they are supposed to stay one flesh. Now in verse 6, he even says... And this is a little peculiar the first time you read it. But in verse 6 he says, They are no longer two but one flesh. Now, when I look at my wife, Tisha, and then I look at me, I don't know about you, but I count two. When I look at John and I look at Julie, I count one. I count two. There's two of them there. My eyes are not deceiving me. I've seen them enough. There's two people. They don't look alike. Well, they kind of do. The longer you're married, the more you start looking like each other. <laughs> But there's two. If Adam and Eve stood in front of you, you would count one, two. That's how they were able to have children. There were two of them. I thought about when I was putting this sermon together, uh, one of the Andy Griffith episodes, Gomer Pyle says, it takes two to tango. (laughs) But yet Yeshua says here, they are no longer two. Why does He say that? Because He's teaching one in harmony, one in union, one in purpose. One in mind. A husband and wife are to be joined. They are to be united. And that unitedness is supposed to last until death. Do they part? So in Genesis 2.23, when Yahweh brought the woman to the man, the man said these words, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called 
woman because she was taken out of man. So the reason that the sisters are called woman or female is because Eve came forth from Adam. Male, female. Man, woman. And it works the same way in Hebrew. The Hebrew word for man here in Genesis 2 is ish. The Hebrew word for woman is isha. The reason these words are like they are is because Eve was made from the stuff, the side, the body of Adam. So in the first book of the Bible, we learn that in marriage there is both headship and equality. Some people want to only focus on Adam's headship. Other people only want to focus on Eve's equality. Both concepts are taught here in Genesis. I told somebody this past week, a lot of times I've learned in my Bible study that the truth is usually, may not be all of the time, but usually the truth is somewhere in the middle of both extremes. And you do have extremes in Christianity throughout history and even today where you have some churches that only focus on the headship of Adam and the men are very domineering. And then other churches only focus on the equality of Eve. And the women are sometimes very um, influenced by modern day feminism. So headship is taught in that Adam was created first. Firstborns are always special in scripture. Yahweh made man from the dust of the ground before he made woman. Yahweh made Adam first. Yahweh made men the way that they are. Protectors, providers, strong, and defenders. It doesn't mean that you're not going to find a woman out there somewhere who can lift more weight than I can lift because they have women bodybuilders today. But what it means is that in general, overall, man is the stronger of the two sexes. Uh, my wife still tells me, can you open this pickle jar for me or this jalapeno jar for me? Sometimes she winks at the children and and I don't know if she needs me to open it or not, but <laughs> I like to think that she needs me for some things, just like I need her for some things. Right? Uh, and the church said, Amen. <laughs> amen. <laughs> Thank you, brother. All right. So, all of that, the, the protection, protectors and providers and strong and defenders, all of that is embedded within the male gender because Yahweh put it there. And this is why whenever we see a male trying to steer away from that role, that it looks strange. The reason it looks strange is because it's not the way that Yahweh created that man to be. It's just like whenever we see a female that tries to be masculine, and more like a male, it looks awkward. It looks weird. Why? Because it is weird. It's not how Yahweh created the female to be. So headship is taught in that Adam was made first, but at the same time, Genesis teaches equality in male and female and husband and wife. How? How does Genesis teach that? This is how. By Yahweh making Eve out of the material or the side of Adam. The side shows equality. An old Puritan by the name of Matthew Henry back in the 1600s, he put it better than I could ever put it. He said this about this verse. Not made out of his head, speaking about Eve, to rule over him. Eve wasn't taken from Adam's head. Nor out of his feet to be trampled on by him. 
but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. So both headship and equality are taught in Genesis. And I want you to recognize this is pre-fall. Not like this was summertime before fall got here, but this is pre-fall meaning before the fall of man into sin. This is before sin ever enters the picture, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. We don't see sin enter until Genesis 3. So this is how Yahweh created it to be before the fall of man into sin. I think it's best to view the headship of Adam as headship in role. The role that the man takes in the marriage and equality between Adam and Eve is in person or value. Both the husband and wife are equal in being persons, in being humans, and not one is to be valued over the other. My wife has her strengths. I have my strengths. I have my weaknesses. She has her weaknesses. When we join together because we're equal in person and in value, we complement each other. In theology, it's called complementarianism. And I believe that the Bible does lean in that direction in complementarianism. That is a later view uh, that stemmed off of uh, patriarchism, which basically means that the husband is the head. I have no problem with patriarchism as well. I think Scripture teaches that. But I think it teaches complementarianism because I see that that's how marriages thrive. When the husband and the wife recognize that there is an equality between the two of them as a human being and in their value, and they realize, hey, my wife can do things I can't do better than I can. And the wife says, hey, my husband can do things I can't do better than I can. And they love each other and they help each other and they complement one another. Kind of like when you're picking out colors to paint in your home and you say these two colors complement each other. They look well together. That's how a husband and wife is supposed to be. They're supposed to be complementary to one another. And we as husbands and wives, we should verbally complement each other. I think you did that well. You did a good job on that from the husband to the wife or vice versa. So I think it's best to view the headship of Adam as his role and the equality as person and value. Um, In a marriage, the husband and the wife Although equal in person and value, they have different roles. As we continue to read in Genesis all the way through to the rest of the Scriptures, we learn that Yahweh assigns in marriage the role of being the Messiah to the man. And to the woman, He assigns the role of being the assembly. So, the man is required to love and to cherish and to nourish his wife as the Messiah does the assembly. How the Messiah gave up His life, gave up His rights. I was thinking about today, the way that Yeshua became the greatest King in heaven and earth, the way that He became that was going to Jerusalem and dying. And then when He humbled Himself, Philippians 2 says He humbled Himself His whole life, but even unto death. And He could have called 12 legions of angels down to help Him off of that tree. But Yahweh resurrected Him on the third day to immortality. Now, nobody could kill him if they wanted to because he's immortal. Death can't come upon him. And so he sits at Yahweh's right hand. He has the highest position, obviously underneath Yahweh the Creator, but he has the highest position of anybody in heaven and in earth. Why? Because he was humble. Humble yourself in the sight of Yahweh and he will lift you up higher and higher. So, man has that role of the Messiah. It's not a role where we are to be domineering over our wife. 
Um, that is a tendency that us men have since the fall into sin. <laughs> us men have a tendency to want to be that way. And uh, the wife is given the assignment or the role of the assembly. And as the assembly submits to the Messiah, so also the wife is to submit to her husband. Ephesians 5 talks about this. Brother TJ did a great teaching on it last year. So the woman's role is as the assembly. The man's role is as the Messiah. Um, just like man since the fall into sin has a tendency to want to domineer and dominate, women have a tendency not to want to submit. Genesis 3 teaches this. But the biblical teaching is, is that we are to, as born-again believers, lay aside our rights and do what Yahweh tells us to do. Um, I had one sister say to me one time, I don't like that verbiage in the Bible that women are to submit to their husband. And I responded to her the first time I said that was, well, we have to submit too to the Messiah. In other words, both of us are submitting to somebody. So as a husband, anytime I am out of my submission to Yeshua the Messiah, I'm out of the will of Almighty Yahweh. So it's not just the wife that has to submit to the husband. It's the husband that has to submit to the Messiah. And even Yeshua, the Messiah, has to submit to His Father, to Yahweh. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. So I think that many churches have erred on either extreme. Some churches and some pastors have a tendency to be misogynistic. And what that means is some kind of internal disdain for the female gender. I have seen this take place. I have heard messages that make women feel like they are second class to the man, um, which doesn't is not what Genesis teaches. It teaches equality and value. But I've heard messages teach like taught like that, and that people say, "Well, a woman's place is only either in the kitchen or to have babies." And I think that that is an awful view, awful view of women. Um, I hate to say this, but we owe much of the downgrading of women in history, to people who call themselves Christians and have used the Bible wrongly. In these type of churches, women are supposed to just keep quiet and never add anything of spiritual worth to a conversation. I think that is awfully sad. I've learned so much in the natural and in the spiritual from my wife. And the last thing that we need to do as whole Bible believers is cherry-pick certain verses in the New Testament to try to promote our doctrine and ignore what the Old Testament has to say about women in texts like Judges chapter 4 and 5 and also a text like Proverbs chapter 31. However, the other extreme makes me sad as well because some churches have seen these churches that tend to be misogynistic and they've overreacted to the misogynist view and they've adopted modern day feminism where women play the role of the head and it is thought that man is not needed. It is fine for a female to remain single for the purpose of devoting her life to the Almighty. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Same thing with a man. It is fine for a man to remain single his whole life. For goodness sakes, Yeshua was single. and He had a great life. Uh, a person's life is not, does not find fulfillment just in them wanting to get married. Somebody is not, or everybody is not blessed with that same gift uh, of life. Uh, some people are blessed with another gift of singleness and devotion to the Creator. So Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 7. It is perfectly fine for either a young man or a young woman 
to remain single and devote their life to the Creator. But it is pagan humanistic thinking and error for either a female to think that she is fine being single because a man can't add anything to me. Or a man that thinks, eh, all women are garbage, they can't add anything to me. That's pagan humanistic thinking. And that view on the feminist side has crept into some churches um, and they hold the opposite extreme from misogyny and they hold this uh, feministic view. The truth, I believe, is in the middle of these extremes. When a man and a woman get married under the banner of Yahweh, under the flag of Yahweh, the man is the head of the home as it pertains to his role, but the woman is equal to the man as it pertains to her person and her value. This is the teaching of the first two pages in the Bible. The first two pages of the scroll. Back to what Adam said about Eve. She is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. What does bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh really mean? I want to present to you today that it means a family tie or a kinship bond. Just like with a brother and sister. I want you to think about that. Think about some kind of relation that you have. I think about my relationship with my sister. I have a family tie, a kinship bond with my sister. Her and I are the only siblings our parents had. Only children our parents had. We both come from the same mom and dad. And when a man and a woman get married in holy matrimony, I believe that they are forming a new kinship bond that is just as strong as any familial blood tie. Remember that Adam said Eve was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. It's not the only time that phrase is used in Genesis. If we look at Genesis 29, 13-14, we read, When Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, sister's son would be Laban's what? Nephew. He ran to meet Jacob, and he embraced him and kissed him, brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. Jacob stayed with him for a month. Laban called Jacob his bone and his flesh. Why? Because he was his family. He was his nephew. Family ties, kinship bond. Here's another one from Judges 9, 1-3. through 3. Abimelech, the son of Jerubal, went to Shechem to his mother's brothers. That means his uncles. And he spoke with them and with all the family, that's the relatives, of the house of his mother's father, that would be Abimelech's grandfather, saying, Please speak in the ears of all the men of Shechem. Is it better for you that all the sons of Jerubal, who are seventy persons, rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. His mother's brother spoke of him in the ears of all the men of Shechem, all these words. Their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. Once again, bone and flesh means family ties, kinship bond. And there are other examples like this in the Old Testament. You can look them up in your study time. I want to look at one more example from the New Testament in Ephesians 5, 28-31. I'm reading from the World English Bible on the screen. Even so, husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Even as the Lord also does the assembly, because we are members of His body, of His flesh and bones. 
For this man, for this cause, a man will leave his father and mother and will be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So Paul here in Ephesians 5 is speaking to the husbands in the congregations of Asia Minor or Ephesus. And he's telling them you're to take care of your wives just like you would take care of your own body. Just like you would wake up and brush your teeth and comb your hair and you'd make sure you take a bath and you try not to hurt your fingers and your hands at work. Just like you watch out for your own body. You're supposed to watch out for your wife too. Why? Because when she's married to you, she becomes bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. You join a new family tie, new kinship bond there. The two saith he shall become one flesh. And Paul says that the Lord Himself gives us an example of this and that the Lord loves all of us as members of His spiritual body. The body of the Messiah. And He calls us His flesh and bones. And then I want you to notice how Genesis 2.24 is quoted right after this about a man and his wife becoming one flesh. The point is, is that when a man takes a wife, they become family. They make a new familial bond that is just as close as any other family bond. So when you marry a person, it's my grandparents again, I love them. When you marry a person in the perfect will of Yahweh, they should always be your spouse. 57 years. And granddaddy died. Grandmama still mourns him because she loved him with all of her heart. She misses him every day. Just went to see her the other day for the first time in a while. She mentioned, I miss your granddaddy. When you marry someone, they should always be your spouse. There is life after divorce. But we're not talking about that right now. What we're talking about is what should take place. Not what always takes place. Yahweh wants male and female to get married and to be together until one of them dies. Now... With marriage generally comes children. This is a picture of my wife and I and all five of my children before any of them got married and moved on in life, which is fine. We just read about that in Genesis 2 earlier. Okay, This was a picture during the wintertime, and we had a good time. And you can see the grass still in Georgia, but we still call that snow in Georgia, right? (laughs) Some northerner would see that picture and say, that's not snow, that's just a dusting. But to us... It's snowing, Dad. It's snowing. That's what David says. And Look outside and you can still see the grass and then it's gone by the next day. But my point in this picture is that with marriage, generally comes children. And these five children of mine contain the genetics of the male and the female who procreated them. Me and Tisha, they have part of me and Tisha in them. And you can never separate the mother and the father out of a child. Even if a child's mother and father divorce... Those children will always have that mama and that daddy living inside of them. What does that show us? That shows the bond that marriage produces. Now I realize that sometimes marriages fall apart due to the hardness of our hearts. But if you're sitting in this holy assembly right now, or you're listening by way of telephone or by Facebook Live, and you're married right now, don't you believe that it is Yahweh's will for you to love and to care for your spouse until death. I do. I believe that. When marriages fall apart, it is always due to some kind of sin. Sin in either one party or sometimes in 
both parties. So I'm for marriage because Yahweh is for marriage. And I think that I've shown from the Scriptures the permanency that marriage is supposed to have in this lesson. Next week I'll talk about more of the reason why divorce happens and we'll get more into what the Scriptures have to say about divorce. So I've got... I'm using this whole month to talk about this, so I'm not going to get in a hurry.